You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome. This is episode number one of Natural so Born Atoms. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. In this brief mix, people are tuning in. Also, the definite thing will be known. Welcome to episode nine of Natural Born Atoms. Number ten of the Natural Born Atoms podcast. And my name is Alex and I'll be your host. Good evening, everybody. I want to congratulate on your 200th anniversary. You've performed cutting-edge research, and you've lived up to the vision of one of your founders, who wrote, when in distress, every man becomes our neighbor. Welcome to episode number 200 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. Who knew it would go this far? 200 episodes. And who knows how far it will go? A thousand episodes? I don't know about that. Maybe. Who knows? Who knows? Who the fuck knows? Let's live in the present moment and uh, focus on that, I think. To commemorate this 200th episode, I have decided to produce a very sexy and organic-looking USB with the chemical structure of DMT engraved on it. This USB has 16 gigabyte of storage and is going to be filled with all 200 episodes. If you sit down and listen non-stop, it would take you almost 8 days to listen to it all. The USB will also contain a lot of additional material, previously only available to those that have supported the podcast on Patreon. So there you have another 15 hours plus. And there will be some photos, essays and other shit as well. Basically, the USB will be crammed with stuff. And why should I buy this if I can download all the episodes online? You might ask. Because it's an excellent way to support the podcast. You get all the episodes neatly packaged, plus a ton of additional material, some not found anywhere else. You also get a beautiful, natural-looking and psychedelic USB. What more could you ask for? You can of course transfer all the contents and uh, then have an empty 16-byte USB 2.0 ready to be filled with all your dreams. And who knows when the internet is going to explode. This is a great backup for you. And also a great Christmas gift since Christmas is around the corner. The USB will cost 50 bucks which is about 40 euros or 35 British pound or about 1500 Thailand baht including shipping. Uh, The value of currency is subject to change depending on international banking, war, inflation and plagues. 
And for me, it's not actually the contents of the USB that makes it desirable. It's how it looks. A wooden, natural-looking USB with the DMT chemical structure on both sides engraved. You know, That's why, even though it's a limited edition, the limited edition is even fewer copies than I made because I want one myself. So if you want one, or if you want to buy it and give as a gift, then all you gotta do is click the link in the program notes or go to the merchandise page on naturalbornalchemist.com. This is a limited edition, as I said, so hurry up, and I mean very limited. Go to naturalbornalchemist.com forward slash merch forward slash USB 200. Or simply click on the link in the program notes. Okay. So, let's dive now into some of the episodes of the last couple of years. Let's go down memory lane. If you think of, of life, especially early life, um, even before what you'd call the, the, the first common ancestor, nothing could make it without products being built, being made by other things in the community. Because the community was the unit. And in truth, today, the community is still the unit. You know, we can't survive without plants. They can't survive without soil microbes. We can't survive without a, a climate system that delivers rain. We're still living in the microbial progenote sort of communal unit. We just, we're grazers. We're, we're this new invention called animals, which graze on microbial mats, which are really the dominant story of life on Earth. We chew our way through hamburgers and salads and things like that, and they're all products of this giant microbial world under our feet. And we think we're independent because, you know, we see each other and walk along, but in fact we're totally dependent on this underlying uh, thing. And when, when complex animals are gone, or animals and plants are gone, which might only be a few hundred million years, uh, the microbial world will continue to the, the heat death of the, of the earth, you know. So, so in a sense, what I'm, what I'm suggesting here is by understanding where we came from, like fundamentally, uh, maybe even proving it in the lab in the century, it will refactor how we think about our civilization and each other. What happens is, unless you're American, you have the choice of arriving in North Korea by plane or by train. And I went with the train option. So you take a train in Dandong in China, uh, it goes across the bridge and you're in North Korea. And then you travel by train to Pyongyang, which takes several hours. And um, you only meet your guides in Pyongyang. So your guides do not assist you on the train journey. And we were told that photography uh, on the train was strictly illegal and we could not do it. But I, I just realized they could not watch all of us at the same time. Uh, so I was taking some sneak shots from the train then, uh, which was not really difficult. Um, there were just too few of, of North Koreans. I think they assumed most people wouldn't mess with the rules. 
I have looked into this a lot and I've actually had the privilege of spending a week with the um, Kalahari, the sand bushmen you know, in one of their sacred hunts. And they do see a hunt as very sacred. What they actually do is they have a telepathic communication with uh, with that species, shall we say, before they even start to look for tracks to follow. So the night before, they may silently, through a state of prayer or um, you know, intention and telepathic connection, they would address um, as sending as a message from humans, from themselves. They would address the the you know the kudu or the deer nation in their minds and just very humbly with great reverence and explain their human need and it would have to be a genuine need not just uh, agreed <laughs> they explain their need and they ask if it is right for one of the one of that species to show themselves if it's the right time for that one to offer its life so that they may live or be well they ask that that one may show its tracks the next morning and the next day they will set out with a with their intuition fully alive. They may come across the tracks of a hundred deer that morning, but they will just sense which one is the one that is appropriate to follow. And yes, when they track and follow and they eventually catch up with the animal, they even then still pause, stop for quite a few minutes and they check in with that animal directly, you know, one last time to be really sure, is this okay with the soul of that one? It began for me back in 1973 when, on two different occasions <clears throat> during the day, in the same week, I had a very close broad daylight UFO sightings of an equilateral triangular UFO about 30 feet on each side with witnesses both times. First time about 150 feet away and the second time only about 70 feet away. That started me investigating idea of what UFOs were about now that I had seen something so physical, so solid, and so close. Now the next step up from that is 4 to 8 hertz, that's the theta state. That's the state that's associated with that flow state or the uh, Tibetan monks get into that state very easily. That's a very meditative state. This is what, I, what I'm trying to get across to people is, is the true nature of the, the big oligarch hoax and the fact that our entire capitalist system is, is, uh, is, is one big hoax. a disaster it's it's a it's a deliriant um and i ask the question in the book in the section that introduces deliriant deliriance does anybody actually like being delirious um it's a state of confusion often nausea uh it, it isn't a pleasant experience i mean delirium is is uh, often associated with serious illness um so it's, it's, it's not something that's usually considered to be desirable. 
uh, and, and clearly wasn't in my case. I'd, I'd read this in the, in the book um, and identified what I thought at the time was a, a reasonable dose. I think it was one nutmeg and a half, something one and a quarter. I can't remember exactly which I'd chewed on um, during the early evening. I'm uh, not really sure what what to expect when I was doing this. I thought maybe it would be a bit psychedelic and, and certainly didn't uh, didn't actually uh, enjoy it in any shape or form. It was, a, it was a horrendous experience. Caravaggio was, um, he was at the end of the 1500s into the early 1600s. He became the most important uh, painter of his era. And probably, I mean, my opinion is probably the most important painter period, just bar no one. And what's interesting about him is that on one hand, he was painting these amazing masterpieces. And on the other hand, he was pretty much a gangster. You know, the way I frame it in the podcast, I say, imagine somebody like Tupac, who rather than being a rapper in the 1990s, was, uh, if he was an Italian painter in the 1600s, he would be Caravaggio. You know, the Caravaggio story is a story that's monstrously reminiscent of uh, the culture of rap in the late 1900s. It's a story of... uh, street fights, gangs, uh, murder, escaping from jail, you know, all sort of weird criminal activity. And on the other end, the most amazing art of the late Renaissance. And the two sides live hand in hand. I was in the church um, at the tail end of the time when L. Ron Hubbard was still alive. And at that time, while there was there were scandals attached to the church, my own experience was nothing but pleasant. And my understanding was there's something called the auditor's code, and the auditor is the Scientology word for counselor. And the auditor is sitting opposite you, comes from the word for listening, right? To audit something, not in terms of taxes, but to listen to somebody. Um, that you would you would cough up what might have happened in your life or transgressions you might have committed or sorrows that you had. But the idea was that that was confidential. Then, about 1987, 86, L. Ron Hubbard died and... Miscavige, David Miscavige became the head of the church. And it appears to me to be that things have really changed under David Miscavige. example the New Testament Gospel of John 6 51 through 56 uh, New Testament and Jesus says uh, I am the living bread which came down from heaven 
if any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And that, and the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. Now, what is going on here? I mean, we do not think that Jesus is inviting people uh, to cannibalism. Uh, that would have been repugnant both to Romans and Jews alike. And we think this is a metaphor for um, the juice and the, uh, and the uh, actual body of the mushroom. And then if we look over at the Gnostic Gospels, which were, you know, early other Gospels of Jesus, um, in, the, in, in um, Gnostic Christianity, which was popular but eventually suppressed and deemed a heresy uh, by Orthodox Christianity by about 200, and the Gnostic, uh, many, and there was a discovery in 1954 in Upper Egypt by Nagamadi, uh, the town of Nagamadi, of what eventually was 52 Gnostic texts that were buried in the sands of Egypt uh, over a thousand years, over 1500 years ago. And in that, in the Gospel of Thomas, Jesus tells Thomas that the, the, this, uh, he says to his disciples, compare me to someone and tell me whom I am like. Thomas said to him, Master, my mouth is wholly incapable of saying whom you are like. Jesus said, and I'm quoting, I am not your master. Because you have drunk, you have become intoxicated from the bubbling spring which I have measured out. He who will drink from my mouth will become like me. I shall become he and the things that are hidden will be revealed to him. Well, this is an amazing passage. Obviously, we're talking about a drink. Obviously, we're talking about intoxication or elevation of the spirit. And we're talking about a bubbling spring that Jesus has measured out. That means he knows the dose. Natural Born Alchemist. Yeah. You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. What you heard there at the end was taken from when I recorded the podcast name, the title, way back in 2014 with my wife. Uh, we did two takes and uh, I just stuck it on there at the end uh, because I felt like it <laughs> I never really celebrate my birthday but I thought I'd celebrate this but I don't really have much more to say about it other than the fact that I appreciate all the listeners and the feedback I get it seems that there are people out there that get something from this podcast which is nice hmm what about a commentary on the very first episode? Those director commentary tracks on movies, they're very popular. So maybe do one for the first episode. That's an idea. Let's try it. So I thought it would be interesting to make a commentary track on the first ever episode of this podcast. And uh, I can't even remember doing the intro music. Uh, it was so long ago. 
but Welcome. it worked nice. This is episode number one of the National sound is not Born very Adams. good uh, as Alex, it is now, I don't think, but still fairly good for being the first episode. And uh, it's very hard to speak at the same time as I'm trying to comment on what I am speaking about. So here I'm explaining what I think or what the podcast is going to be about and um, such as anarchy. Uh, apparently it's going to be about anarchy which is ha- which I've done a few episodes on uh, what's happening and one thing that is very important to me is direct experience yes direct experience is very important to me as well it's, yeah, so there it, will be no it's agenda, very difficult to no do an audio commentary on audio. Uh, it becomes very confusing. Now, this doesn't work. Experience. I don't think I can in do an audio commentary on an audio format like this. Uh, so let's, let's maybe try something else. Maybe do a, an, a commentary on the commentary of the first episode. Okay, so here you can hear me trying to comment on the first episode, doing a commentary. And you will notice that I am having a bit of a difficulty trying to uh, comment on the first episode of this podcast. It's very confusing to give a commentary track or give a comment on the first... Oh, see, I can't even speak because it's very confusing to listen to the commentary of me commentating the first episode, which is me speaking. So it's very confusing. So, no, it doesn't work to comment on the commentary track either. So I think we should just say that... This is a failed um, experiment and move uh, along, and move on, move on. People, we have to, we have to come up with something else. This is not working. I think you already know that this podcast is the cat's pajamas. That when listening to this podcast, you feel totally lit. That you cannot deny that it is legit. The bee's knees, gravy noodles packed, peachy, sometimes even a complete clam slam. Now if you feel it as I do, why don't you become a patron and support the podcast? Go to patreon.com forward slash naturalbornalchemist. Stay woke support over there at patreon.com forward slash national alchemist many 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 months ago i played a little song that i wrote and this song was greatly appreciated so again let me show you the love all you non-patrons are missing out on this is how i treat my patrons So I want to play a little song on my ukulele that I wrote. And I wrote it for all you patrons, because I think you deserve a little song. It's the least I can do for your support. Uh, 
Thanks. Now it's time for another episode of the little mini series called The Great Mindfuck with Alexandro. And thinking back on, on 2018, I must say the theme this year has been mini series. You know, my series uh, about recommending films, my uh, little mini series recorded at the Altered Conference in Berlin, and this one, The Great Mindfuck with Alexandro. I don't know if there will be any miniseries in 2019, but uh, that's what happened this year. Let's take one year at a time, shall we? Anyway, in this episode of The Great Mindfuck with Alexandro, the topic is the word sure. At least that's how it begins. And The Great Mindfuck is basically myself and good friend shaman and healer Andrew speaking about various topics that we consider to be mindfucks. So this one's called Sure. Yes, uh, okay. Uh, hey, Alex, how are you doing? Fine. Uh, we're meeting again on our uh, corner, the great mindfuck. And mm. uh, I'd like to talk about something that I guess many people kind of oversee or overlook. Um, you know, we have some words that we spell in a certain way and pronounce in a different way. Uh, and uh, I'm particularly referring uh, with words uh, that have letters that we don't actually pronounce. Like, for example, psychology. We write it psychology, but the P is silent. Okay, so it's psychology. So many words are silent. Many letters are silent in many languages. You just, you read them, they are there. You can see them, they're obvious to the, to the eye, but you just don't pronounce them. You can't hear them. They don't actually make a sound. And there are some mindfuck words people sometimes consciously or even unconsciously or subconsciously use to create a certain vibration or to create a certain type of response. And all we hear is the word that is being spoken, but we don't hear the words that are not being spoken, but are nevertheless there. And I'm going to use a very simple example. I'm going to use the word sure. Do you know the word sure? Sure. Uh, first of all, there's a big problem with this word because sure implies like you're guaranteeing something. It implies some certainty. 
and except perhaps the fact that one day we're all gonna die, nobody can guarantee you shit, okay? We can do our best, but we can never guarantee anything. So there's a fallacy in the word sure to start with, but this is not what I want to talk about. This is not what I want to address. Let's say uh, I've recently seen it in a in a movie or a TV show, I don't remember, like um, a guy is flirting with a girl and she wants to, and he wants to take her out to dinner and and he, he tells her, okay, so uh, I'll pick you up at seven. And the girl says, sure. When you get this sort of reply, sure. You take it as a yes. You take it as a wow, okay, I'm gonna meet her, I'm gonna whatever, score. Uh, but what are the silent words? When somebody says sure, they say something else as well. So when someone says sure, especially when in a certain type of tone, we could hear, I could almost hear the the sure why not, or the sure whatever. So the word sure, as much as it seems to imply certainty or commitment, it is actually doing the opposite. It is diminishing the commitment because we don't hear the silent words. We don't, we hear the sure, but we don't hear the why not. You can also s reply sure when somebody asks you to do something and you really don't want to do it, but you don't want to say no, so you say sure. Exactly, Mundo, because, because we have the silent words. It's like uh, when in music theory, whenever you hear a note, you also hear the fifth. Like if you hear the note uh, C, you're also gonna hear a phantom note uh, of G, the fifth the fifth tone. You're gonna hear it like almost subliminally. The same thing with words. Whenever somebody says sure, it has an added, eh, sure, why not? Uh, sure, whatever. Sure, maybe, you know? It's, it's, it's the words that we don't say that are enhancing or diminishing the words that we do say. And this is like one big fucking mindfuck, if you see what I'm saying. So in this case, I would prefer a maybe or a, you know, why can't you just say, yes, I will be there. But no, because that would be real commitment, right? So we say sure, because sure is actually diminishing the commitment. So this is like one example to demonstrate how much mindfuck can exist in just one simple word. Because the mindfuck is not always in the words we say, but it's in the words that are implied. And in most cases, not even consciously. So next time someone tells you, sure, think twice about that person's commitment. Because there might be a sure whatever in there. Or there might be a sure why not. I mean, I don't care. Sure, whatever. So the word sure, because of the silent unspoken words, is actually diminishing the commitment and not enhancing it. If someone wants to give you a strong affirmative, they will tell you, I'll be there. Or you have my word. If a person tells you, sure, listen to the unspoken words. Hear the silence. Hear what is being said between the lines. Because words and sentences, they have silent words that we don't hear, but are nevertheless there. Just like the silent, just like the silent P in psychology, we don't hear it, but it's definitely there. Okay, so I suggest you start training yourself. I mean, those who are listening to this podcast, start training yourself to hear the words that are not really spoken, 
to listen to the subtext, to listen to the silent words and construct meaning from the whole pictures, from the whole picture and not just from the words that are actually being spoken. Check out andrew at hermeticvision.com For a large part of my life, the movie I now want to talk about was my all-time favorite film. However, these days I guess it is number two or three, or something like that. But it's still way up there. I consider it a masterpiece. I know people who don't think this film is good at all, uh, but those people are blind, in my opinion. <laughs> so yeah, let's listen to another episode of The Moving Image in a Moving Vehicle. Even if you are not a film nerd like myself and you don't know the names of who directed what film and who edited it and who produced it and all this stuff, you uh, don't know who the actors are, you, you don't know what year the film was made, you basically just watch films and that's it. Well, even if you are such a person, you still know who Steven Spielberg is. I'm pretty sure he's made uh, some of the most financially successful, emotionally successful, and uh, some of the most Oscar successful films in the past 30, 40 years. And uh, some of his most famous films, you know, Indiana Jones, E.T., Jurassic Park, you know, Chinder's List. Uh, the list is long. So, which film of all his films is actually the best one? And uh, in my opinion, it's a film that's not so well known kind of, you know, didn't get as much attention as I think it should have got. And it actually stars Christian Bale, you know, the guy who played Batman uh, many years ago. And uh, this, I don't, I don't know if it was Christian Bale's first film. I don't think it was one of his first films. And he was just a little kid at the time. And the film I'm talking about is called The Empire, or not The Empire, it's just called Empire of the Sun. And it takes place uh, during the Second World War. And Christian Bale, he plays this uh, posh, snobby little brat who, through different circumstances, ends up in a uh, prison camp. And... Uh, over there in Asia and uh, the whole film is about his life and growing up in this prison camp and the film is an amazing achievement in terms of acting because this Christian Bale you know you, when you make a film it takes a few months and of course when a, an actor ages in a film 
you can use like different makeup effects and, and things like that but there is something with Christian Bale's acting in this film that is spectacular in my opinion and that is that when the film in the starts he seems very young and he behaves in a very young way and in his eyes there's this naivete this innocence and towards the end of the film all the way deep into his eyes you can see that he has aged he has matured he's been through hardships uh, it's it's very well done and uh, it's it's uh, a travesty that he didn't get some award Oscar nomination or something for that because I think he did an excellent job also considering he was quite young at the time so it's not like he was a seasoned actor as he is today but you know um, just for his performance the film is worth watching and then there's another great older actor in the film as well that most people who are interested in film agree with me that this actor is also a very good good one and it's uh, John Malkovich there's also a shitty actor in the film but actually I didn't know he was in the film until just uh, recently and it's Ben Stiller uh, you, you, he's uh, had a very small role and you hardly notice him and um, uh, you know the film I don't know it came out was it 87 or something like that 1987 or 86 in the 80s sometime I think I'm not sure uh, so this was before Ben Stiller became this the comedy guy he is now um, so yeah if you want to watch a film uh, with excellent acting very good music by John Williams and a very emotional and interesting historical film about a prison camp run by the Japanese and uh, then you should really watch Empire of the Sun um, it also has a love story between the Christian Bale character and airplanes which is also portrayed in a very good way and uh, towards the end of the film you know when the, the Americans dropped the nuclear bomb the atom bomb on Hiroshima Krishna Bale's character he actually witnesses this from a distance he sees the light the explosion like far away in the horizon and he uh, he thinks he's seen God when this happens uh, so there's a lot of good things in this film uh, not much more to say about it so if you haven't seen Empire of the Sun and if you want to watch a film by Steven Spielberg that shows his real skill because Spielberg often gets a lot of shit from uh, film geeks because he's a bit commercial or he makes blockbuster films and he he doesn't have any like artsy fartsy things about his films but I say that well watch Empire of the Sun and uh, you probably won't even 
realized it is a Steven Spielberg film. So yeah, it's a masterpiece in my opinion. I actually watched the other day Spielberg's most recent film, which was Ready Player One. And I, I was looking forward to it because it was dealing with virtual reality and all that. But I was kind of disappointed at the end. Basically, at the end of the film, the protagonist uh, was talking about the only thing that's real is reality. So it was kind of like a Hollywood film discussing... uh, alternate realities but concluding that this one we're in now is the only one that's real I don't know it didn't really like it kind of ruined the film for me because well maybe that's because I'm biased but uh, nothing can be more unreal than the concept that everything currently is real Uh, but you know maybe I've just lost my mind (laughs) Uh, let's wrap this baby up with a track called You're So Beautiful by John Gonzalez from the album Water and Whiskey. If you like this music, go to johngonzalez.com. And yes, I have played this song before on this podcast. Hmm, when did I do that? Well, back in the first ever episode. Don't forget to check out that USB, take it easy, and I'll see you all in a week. Freedom is in the mind. You're so beautiful. You're so beautiful. Bet you're dead. You're so beautiful Bet your man he has his hands full Must be a matador cause he's taking all the bull Makes you work for more so natural Why dip an orchid into a dust bowl A rainbow on frills just to bask in your glow Cause you're beautiful You're so dutiful I bet your mama she has her hands full She's used to playing the lead now she's second so beautiful Cause you're beautiful You're so beautiful
makes you work.